Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand the stock market better, to look at financial legislation that impacts your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we look at financial planning topics and help you understand some of the details behind them. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to send me a question, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll see a place where you can submit your question. Then I'll get in contact with you, maybe get some more details, and then we'll come up with an answer that not only helps you, but provides education for the people listening to the show. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update, and this is for the week ending May 17th, 2019. And that week in the stock market was a little bit like starting on a roller coaster and then just dropping immediately. I understand usually roller coasters have to go up first. Yeah, but the market didn't have to do that. And then it comes back. And finally, at the end of the week, you're almost where you started from. And so, you know, how was the ride? Well, you know, it ended where it began. But my goodness, the ride in the middle was really stressful. So the market at the end of the week, um, the Dow was 0.69% down. The S&P 500 was down 0.76%. The NASDAQ was a little worse, but only down by 1.27%. Gold was down nearly three quarters of a percent. Oil May crude was up 1.62%. And the 10-year treasury now has a yield of 2.3%. Nine four percent So what happened last week? And basically, what caused the market gyrations? Now, oil might be slightly different. We'll come to that in a minute. But what caused most of the market gyrations were all of the crazy tariff news that we had. And so to begin the week, it became obvious that there wasn't going to be a tariff deal between China and the United States. And in fact, China, or the United States rather, um, released a list of an additional $300 billion worth of Chinese goods that um, the president is threatening to hit with a 25% tariff. Then on Thursday... The administration has announced that in the name of cybersecurity, they're doing a crackdown on Chinese telecommunications. Now, let's talk about that latter part just for a minute. Do not ever think that I take cybersecurity not seriously. I worry about it. I worry about it in my own business. I worry about it in the big financial institutions and our infrastructure and our power grids and the internet. Cybersecurity is a huge deal. However, in the middle of the trade war, it looks like this ban, and it's on 
Huawei, and please forgive me if I just killed that. It's H-U-A-W-E-I Technologies. It's a huge Chinese telecommunications firm, and the administration banned them. Said nope, can't can't do business here, and that's going to have a huge impact. Which is probably why the Nasdaq actually ended down. Um, a little bit more than the rest of the market because that's going to have a big impact on telecommunications within the United States. And then they went further and they put、um, the company on a blacklist. So the timing to me is incredibly suspicious. The timing to me sounds more like it's a continuation of the punishing of the Chinese economy rather than a concern about. Actual breaches, because there has been this has been an issue they've been tossing around for a couple of years. That he would announce it the same week he announced an additional three hundred billion dollars of proposed tariffs. To me, sounds like a trade war, not a security issue. But when you wrap it up as a security issue, it becomes much more difficult to argue against it. Of course, China's retaliating by saying that they are going to tariff more of our goods. So it's really a huge deal. That the, the Chinese-United States trade war really looks like a wreck, and I'm surprised the market came back as much as it did. Especially when at this point, you know, it started out, oh, this is going to hurt China. And then it was like, well, you know, there may be a little impact、um, to the American markets, but it's really going to hurt China. Now, this week, over the weekend, some of the Sunday shows had Republican senators saying, "Yes, it's going to be absolutely painful to the United States, but it's going to be worth it in the end." So we'll just kind of see how that goes. Most economists are saying. That if this、um, this Chinese tariffing and trade war continues on, it's so much money that could very easily throw the United States into a recession next year. Remember, this has been the 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 black sheep variable that I've been worried about. You know what happens if the、um, trade war really goes into effect? And really, that should be the last thing you would want in a presidential year. We'll just have to wait and see how all of that goes. Now, there was a little good tariff information this week, where、um, the Trump administration has said that、um, the United States is going to lift the steel and aluminum tariffs that have been in place for a year. Remember, randomly last year we decided we're going to declare tariffs on Canada and Mexico, and I and I. Don't really know why this was when the whole thing with the Mexican government was so kind of wild, and then I think per- perhaps the Canadian government spoke up against it. In any case, suddenly, boom! Really out of nowhere, there were twenty five percent tariffs on、um, on Canada and Mexico, mostly impacting the steel and aluminum industries. So those have been lifted, which is why the market. Partially recovered. I mean, really, we were very, very down on Monday. It was a very bad day, over 600 points down in the Dow, and by the end of the week, we had recovered to the point it was less than a percent. And I suspect that that tariff was lifted on Canada and Mexico to raise those numbers. So now that that's been done, I'm not really sure how many cannons they can still fire to try to goose the economy if they want to prolong this fight with China. 
You know, China is willing to play a very long game. Remember that the Chinese president has declared himself president for life. So he doesn't have any motivation to resolve this by 2020 and likely would like to see a change of administration anyway. So I'm not sure we've calculated this properly. We'll just have to wait and see and see what happens next. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and today we're looking at the corporate response to the rules that have been put in place to help them behave properly. And so I read a really interesting article in the New York Times on May 15th. The title of that article is, Do Companies Fear the Law? And it says it doesn't really look like they do because the law doesn't really have enough teeth in it to impact them enough to change their behavior. So, you know, let's start out looking at Wells Fargo. You know, Wells Fargo has been in the news for, for a lot of, of bad behavior. Remember that they were making loans to people. They were opening accounts improperly. They were engaging in sort of ethical issues. And so, you know, they got these huge fines. They had $185 million, with an M, dollar fine in 2016. And then that same year, they got a one2 billion, with a B, dollar penalty for improperly um, handling mortgage lending. So, you know, you think $1.2 billion and $185 million, it's a huge amount of money, right? Yeah, except in 2018, the bank earned $22 billion with, um, in earnings in 2018. So you don't have the impact of the penalties basically in congruence with how much money the bank is actually earning. And so, yeah, Wells has had some issues, and there was some regulation. The Federal Reserve said that year that the bank couldn't expand its balance sheet, which would let it kind of absorb in some of those penalties. They wanted to actually hit them on the bottom line. And so it did, you know, stop them from growing a little bit. However, they still grew $22 billion in 2018. So if we're going to do something that really impacts them, those penalties are going to have to get a little bit higher. Now, Goldman Sachs paid money as a penalty for misleading investors in some of the um, debt products that were created during the um, 2008 bubble. Remember, 2008 and 9, there were all kinds of weird exotic products out there. There were collateralized mortgage obligations, collateralized debt obligations, which are like super complicated ways of purchasing debt. Well, as it ended up, they didn't do a really good job disclosing some of the risk in the collateralized debt obligation, and so they had a $550 million penalty. More recently, there's been some criminal investigation into Goldman's practices where they were working with a company, it looks like in Malaysia, it was a multi-billion, with a B, dollar fraud. Huge deal. 
Um, and so they want Goldman to plead guilty. Goldman is saying it wasn't the majority of the bank. It was simply some rogue actors who were employees that the bank didn't know anything about it. And so these people were just out there acting badly. So it's probably going to be a settlement, two to three billion dollars with a B, which is huge. However, in 2018, Goldman earned 10.4 billion with a B. So I mean, a third of the money is a good-sized fine, but it's just one year. And then this is why your regulators matter. This is why when you think in terms of the outcome of any sort of voting opportunity, whether it's at the local level or at the national level, you have to look to see who those people get to control. Because the Securities and Exchange Commission has recently said that they're likely to grant Goldman a waiver from the bad actor rule. So in other words, they're going to Goldman's uh, the SEC is going to let Goldman say that uh, yeah they really weren't a bad actor. It was just a couple of bad people. And so it minimizes it. It puts it under it puts it under the rug. You know, we know that Facebook is having all sorts of issues, but again, the fines aren't um, they aren't nearly as high as the revenue that Facebook brings in. You know, it's not very likely that it's going to impact the company's bottom line. Even Ford, um, and, and, I, and I like all these companies, okay? I'm not out there criticizing these from a company's sake. I am not suggesting that any person you're working with who works for Wells or works for Goldman is a bad person. I'm just saying on some very major levels, there's issues, and the companies aren't having to pay much of a price for it. So I'm not dissing Wells. I'm not dissing Goldman. I'm not dissing Facebook. I like Ford. But even then... Ford um, is saying that you know, they had a criminal investigation into emission certification, which has seemed to be an issue for a lot of car companies. And they put out in their statement they didn't expect it to have a material impact on their earnings. And the same day that the news came out that they were being punished is the same day that the stock price finished up 10% after it announced good sales and earnings. So obviously, <laughs> these fines aren't having the impact that people are anticipating. You know, Elizabeth Warren has a plan for that, and she really is trying to get some more teeth into this. And, I, and I'm not advocating her. There's great people running for office. But she has been the one who's been probably the most vocal in dealing with consumer finance issues and with trying to level the corporate playing field. And so she is looking to try to um, beef up some of those laws so that the companies actually have to pay fines that will hit their bottom line and hurt them a little bit, ideally to stop their bad behavior. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. So I will admit, I sometimes go on diets and I fail miserably. You know, and, I, and I'm not sensible about it, okay? I don't do anything right. I'll make some incredible pronouncement that I'm never going to eat anything with fat in it again. 
And so I get to the office and my assistant has stopped and she's picked us up donuts. And so, of course, I have one because she picked one up for me, right? And then before lunch, because I've brought my salad, you know, I'm not eating fat, my, I'll get a phone call. It'll be from a friend who's like, I'm only in town for today. Can you have lunch? I would really, really like to see you. And it's like, well, I can't not do that. So I go out to lunch and I don't order a salad. I don't. I order a hamburger. And so now it's dinner time and I feel really bad because, you know, I've eaten well twice. And so I make my husband a nice dinner because I hate to eat well and then not feed him well just because I think it's mean. So I make him dinner and of course I eat some of it. And so there you go. And so my diet not only was bad, but because now I feel guilty about it, I've probably even made dessert to go along with dinner because my diet was a failure. Okay, what was wrong with my diet? Well, there's lots of things wrong with that diet, but let's start with the easy ones. The first thing is I've made a stupid statement. I'm never going to eat anything with fat in it again. Well, you know, I'm not going to do that. That's not true, and I kind of know it when I say it, but it doesn't stop me. So a better decision would be to do any of the real diet plans where you you get some fat and you get some sugar and you get some carbs, but you control things and it's portion control and it's increasing your veggies and it's not eating processed foods. We, We all know how to lose weight, right? But I'll tell you what, it's the hardest thing in the world. So now let's take it to I decide that I need to spend less money. So I don't want to spend a lot, and I'm trying to watch what I'm buying, and I go into the store, and of course the first thing I see are seasonal Oreo cookies, and that is not an endorsement of Oreo, they just happen to be Oreo cookies that are seasonal, and I love seasonal Oreo cookies. Like any holiday, they can do the inside blue, they can do it orange, they can do it pink, I'm all over it, okay, huge seasonal Oreo fan, it's never on my shopping list. And so I buy it, right? Now, if we're getting close to a season, they probably have 99-cent napkins somewhere staring me in the face, and I pick up those. Well, now what have I done? Well, you know, I said I wasn't going to spend extra money, but I have. So I proceed to buy the seasonal socks and the wreath to put on the front door. And, oh, look, there's that new perfume I wanted to try, and it's really inexpensive. And so because I've gone off my budget... I spend entirely too much money because I've broken the rules. My dieting and my budgeting are identical. I say I'm not going to do something, and then when I do it, I know I've broken the rules, and once I've broken the rules, well, then you might as well break them more. And I tell this story on myself because, number one, it is true. But number two, I've seen it with lots and lots of my clients as well. You know, we set absolutely unrealistic financial expectations. We say, I am never going to go out to lunch again because I don't want to spend the money. We say, I am only going to shop what's on my list and I'm not going to make any impulse purchases. We say, I'm never going back in the mall. Here's a trick. Anytime you use a word never or always, you might just as well throw it out the window because you're not going to be able to be successful at it. Never and always are failure words. Get rid of them and they won't work well. So what do I want you to do instead? Well, let's go back to your budget. 
Okay, the first thing you need to know is how much do you typically spend? And when you go into a store, you know, big, big giant stores with everything in them are the worst. You're much better off going to a grocery store and you'll do a lot less impulse purchasing. But how much money can you spend? Okay, so you give yourself the amount of money you have, you take your list, try to give yourself two or three dollars if you don't have a lot, or maybe more than that because it's the principle of the thing, not the dollar value that matters. It's important to give yourself permission to have discretionary money. Discretionary money is the financial planning word for spending money. It's that money that you can buy. You can buy anything you want to with. It's like what you got when you were a little kid with an allowance. You need to give yourself an allowance because there's going to be something there you're really going to want. If you don't let yourself ever buy those things you want, you're going to be miserable. And at some point, you're going to get really mad at your budget. You're going to throw it in the corner. You're going to go buy whatever you want. And your, your latter days are going to be worse than your earlier days. So give yourself a little spending money every time you go and then try to hold to that spending money. But if you give yourself permission, you won't get in trouble. And if those seasonal Oreo cookies go in my cart, I'm still on budget, right? I gave myself permission. That was just the thing I got to buy today. And then I go on and I buy the rest of my groceries. So that works really, really well when you're trying to spend less money. If you're trying to save money, you'll make the same mistake. You'll say, I'm going to save $500 a month. You know, never mind, you know at the end of the month, you don't have 500 spare dollars laying around. And even if you cut out all of that discretionary spending, it doesn't equal $500. We say stupid things like, I'm going to save $500 when we don't have it. So what happens? Well, we don't save $500 because we can't. So what do we save? We save absolutely nothing. Okay, so don't do that. Look at how much money you have. Look at how much money you have at the end of the month. Could you save $25? If you can save $25, I want you to do that. And you're like, but Peggy, I can't retire on $25 a month. I, I know that. I'm not suggesting you can. What I am suggesting is the day you can turn from a spender to a saver, everything else will begin to fix. And at $25 a month, you could save $300 a year. They did some recent um, polling statistics when the government was shut down back in December and said that most people don't have that much money in the bank. And they don't have that much money in the bank for one reason, because they don't think to save $25 a month, because it isn't enough. It isn't glamorous. You know, when people come to people like me, a financial planner, it's like, well, I'm going to save $25 a month. And if the planner is not real careful, they will not respond in a positive way. I want you to save the $25 a month. Now, of course, if you can save more, I want you to try to do that. But I really, really want you to get it to the number you can save, and then I want you to save it. Once you start doing that, then when you get a raise, save some of that. You can increase. You can grow. Once you know you can save money, you can keep doing it. But don't set yourself for expectations that you can't do. You can't necessarily save 500 a month, and that's okay. Do what you can. 
Things will get better. As things get better, you can change the numbers you're trying to save. And now you're on a real financial plan. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Today's question is, Peggy, how do I plan a wedding on a budget? Well, it's almost June and it's almost wedding season, so this seemed like a really appropriate question for today. But before I answer it, I have to say happy anniversary to my absolutely fabulous husband, Richard. Our anniversary is tomorrow, May 21st, and I couldn't be happier. It's been 19 years. And second, I have to say congratulations to my awesome granddaughter by marriage who is getting married in a couple of weeks, and she was our flower girl when we were getting married, and now I get to watch her get married, so I'm taking just a moment to say congratulations to everybody. But I will say that when you're planning a wedding, you know, as great as our wedding was and as great as hers will be, they don't have to be the most expensive day of your life. And in fact, you don't want to create a wedding that is so financially stressful that it starts you guys out on a road of already having a bunch of debt from an event that lasts, it's a one-day event. I know we planned for it for months, but it's still a one-day event. And if you had a little bit more financial security, it could stop months of not being confident in what you're doing. So how do you spend less money? Well, to start out with, plan early. The earlier you plan, the more likely you are to get a discount from a venue or from caterers will sometimes offer you a discount if you plan very early. You want to be able to have enough time to Find what you want. You don't want to be rushed. You know, you may want to interview half a dozen caterers because when you get in a hurry, you choose the easy option. And the easy option is usually not the less expensive option. And it can be less expensive and still be fabulous. So take the time so none of your decisions are rushed and you get the early bird discounts. Start saving money just literally the minute you even think you might be getting engaged, certainly from the time you get engaged. Because if you have longer, you know, any more engagements are running for quite a length of time. If you have a couple of months to save, it is much easier to put back smaller amounts over time than have this huge giant bill and only three or four months that you're trying to find the money for it. I know everybody gets married in June, but because of that, all of the venues cost more. Everybody else knows everyone wants to get married in June, and they raise the prices. So consider another time of year. Look for something that's not quite so popular, and you may be able to get things at a much better price. Do as much of it by yourself as you can and get your family and your friends to help you out. Anything you don't have to hire done will save you a ton of money. We made all of the centerpieces for the table. We actually made my flowers because I did a destination wedding. We saved so much money and it was just as pretty. And I still have the flowers. You know, a memorable honeymoon doesn't have to be in the most expensive place in the world. 
you can maybe not even take a honeymoon at all and just plan some weekends away. Or if you want, you know, most people want a honeymoon, but it doesn't have to be big and crazy and expensive. And it doesn't have to be the trip of your lifetime because guess what? You have your whole lives together. You can do that trip of a lifetime in a couple of years when you've had a chance to recover from the wedding of a lifetime and actually have the money saved. You're marrying your best friend. All of the other stuff around this is just trappings. It's just stuff. Remember the point. Remember that you're marrying your friend. Remember how much fun it's going to be. Do not stress out. Do not freak out. Do not think it has to be the most uh, expensive wedding in the world. You'll be really glad you made the decision to do that. Well, I can't believe how fast this has gone, and I will see you in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a couple of weeks of rerun shows because I'm going to a wedding. Bye. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.